As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. You're listening to the Toxic and Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. So it's really a pleasure to kind of talk to Georgia Goldburn. And, and Georgia, I guess before we get started, and we're going to really talk about some very important things that your, your passion and purpose. And I, when I say product, uh, whether you're in a profit or nonprofit, you're still selling, persuading, sharing your, your vision, your dream, your your cookies or your whatever you might be be producing, but you're producing and manufacturing, but also sharing uh, wisdom and knowledge and opportunity. And so that's a that's a real product that I uh, we're going to talk about more. But before we go, I'm, my last name has two syllables, and your last name has two syllables. How many Goldbergs have you met? in just as a casual thing, have you met it? Is that a unusual name or a common name or? It's actually it's a originally it's a Scottish name. Scottish that name changed. Um, when we, um, when my family um, moved to this country. So I think there was some error with my grandfather's, um, on my grandfather's paper. So originally my name was spelled G-O-U-L-D-B-U-R-N-E. I think that was how it was originally spelled. Mm -hmm. And so when we came to this country, um, we had to change the spelling of it because I think there was an error on my grandfather's um, paperwork when because he applied for us to come to this country. Good, good. So that's the history of how I became a gold burn. So there's not a lot of gold burns outside of my family that I've met. Mm -hmm. And uh, Thicklin's a reasonably an unusual last name. And prior to Facebook, I had, had only encountered a few. But since Facebook, I've kind of been able to track down some folks. So it's, it's interesting. In, in some ways, we don't even know what our real, our real name, yeah. our, our first names are. Uh, and and you know, in a way, that's a lead into to our conversation because we're going to talk about workforce development and particularly in terms of daycare centers, et cetera, and opportunities there. But the early formation of your identity—I mean, for the people forget that. Yeah, we hear about kindergarten a lot, but all the research, much of the research, talks about even way before that, from birth to three to four, your mm -hmm. identity is really kind of forming. And and sometimes, if it's not being formed on a on a positive way, it, it can those cracks can appear and even grow as you grow older. But but Georgia Goldburn is with us. Uh, she's going to she's going to introduce a problem, and I would say it's a problem, um, but it's also an opportunity in terms mm -hmm. of workforce development and existing for. By the way, what does ECE stand for? What's that stand for again? ECE it's Early Childhood Education. So we're going to. I'm going to. I love acronyms in terms of efficiency, but in this case, to pronounce the Early Childhood Education, just remind people that this is. Um, I, well, I'll go on record, just as important as postgraduate education, let me put it that way. <laughs> it is for your secondary, uh, kindergarten, middle school, uh, college, community college, grad school, uh, journey to be successful. Your early ECE again is what? Early, it could be early care and education, depending on who you speak with, okay. but it's commonly seen as early childhood education. Your early childhood education. This is something not this, this. This is the seed. Even sequoias have to start with a seed. So, so mm -hmm. Georgia, kind of kick us off. Tell us about 
workforce development and, and early childhood education and, and what's cooking in New Haven. And also quickly throw in that there's some deadlines imminent, and then we'll get into a lot of the details also about this opportunity. So we were really incredibly blessed to be selected by the city of New Haven to manage $1.6 million off their early childhood education funds. New Haven, and I just so have to just thank those folks in the early care community who has advocated for these resources. New Haven allocated about $10 million to youth and education um, from their ARPA dollars, and they assigned about $3.5 million, million of those funds specifically to early child education, which represents about 30% of their youth and um, youth um, budget, which is, again, it's an extraordinary thing um, mm -hmm. for to do. And they put out an RFP last year and they asked organization to come in and to manage it because they felt that they wanted people who were knowledgeable um, in understanding this this very important community at such a critical time of its development. And they wanted folks to come in to sort of guide them in how to allocate these funds. And so they put out an RFP in December. We did apply along with United Way and several other organizations. We were selected to manage the workforce um, piece of the grant, which is $1.6 million. United Way was selected to manage two separate grants, one, is the expansion um, grant, which is $1.4 million, mm -hmm. expansion and enhancement. And um, then they also were allocated a $500,000 grant to create a strategic early child education plan for the city. Mm -hmm. And so I'm here to speak um, about our grant and the fact that we were selected because of the long history of work that Circle has done um, in developing early child education workforce, not only on behalf of the city, but also on behalf of the state. And so our role right now is to identify those programs that is going to be aligned with the vision for the Office of Early Child Education, which is a state agency that manages um, early child education, and also just to prepare um, folks to take advantage of all of the incredible opportunities that are getting ready to come down the pike. And our deadline is December 10th to get mm -hmm. um, application in. Our application is live and they can go on our website um, to find that information. And so we did a we did an informational session already with the community to talk about, mm. you know, how people can apply. And we have um, opportunities for people to sign up for one-on-one -on -one counseling if they have any questions. And those are all on our website and it's um, ctcircle.org um, if they want to go to our website and they can go to the workforce um, the workforce grant, the community workforce grant page um, to get all of that information. Excellent. And, and Georgia, I mean, I've been called a number of names in public and behind my back, and, but for the for your, your, your daily name, your, your, your title again? So my tie, I, I wear several hats and I mm -hmm. actually one off this year. So I'm okay. so over that. So I am the executive director of Hope for New Haven, which is the nonprofit that manages um, Hope Child Development Center. I was previously serving as a director of Hope Child Development Center as well. And I stepped down in that capacity and I'm just 
pretty much just resting in my position as uh, the director of Hope for New Haven. Hope for New Haven also serves as the fiscal sponsor for Circle, and I am the co-founder of Circle, hmm. along with Kim Harris from Harrison Tucker. Mm-hmm. And so right now I do um, technical assistance. I do consulting on behalf of the agency. And I pretty much just come and advance the vision, the mission of the work that we're doing here at Circle. And so who's eligible to apply for, I mean, this is exciting, but who's, who is eligible to, to, to apply? So we made this as open as possible to the early child education community. Um, anyone who has is a licensed or a licensed exempt provider of early child education. And when we say early child education, we typically think of birth to eight years old, mm-hmm. but this grant specifically is, is targeting the workforce that's serving children um, between zero through um, five years old. Mm. So if you are a licensed program or a licensed exempt program that is in the city of New Haven, you are eligible to apply um, for this grant. If you are outside of the city of New Haven, because one of the things as a part of CIRCLE and CIRCLE um, organizes about 40, about 40 um, early child education program um, in greater New Haven area, as mm. well as in Bridgeport and Stanford and Stratford. And what we also know is that parents go where the care is. And mm. so there are lots of children in New Haven that resides in New Haven that are getting care outside of New Haven. And so for us, because our main catchment area is the greater New Haven area, we say to folks, if they are serving, if any licensed providers or licensed exempt provider are serving um, children um, who 50% of their children are from the city of New Haven. They're hmm. also eligible to apply wow. as long as they can demonstrate to us that they have in fact 50% of their children who mm-hmm. are served. We also are we also allow people who provide professional development to apply for this grant as well. We know that there are wonderful organizations that are out there um, that deliver um, high quality um professional development for early care um, providers. And so we wanted to make that grant available to them as well. Mm. So if they have an incredible idea of how to deliver um, an ECE course or a professional development course, they may also apply. We do encourage those providers um, to connect with the early child education providers in the city or whomever they're going to work with to at least have a letter of support so that we can know who's being served by this professional development mm-hmm. opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we try just knowing the just knowing the the field and the workforce, we try to make it as broad as possible to bring as many people into the space to deliver those really critical services on behalf of the city. And you know, this is so so rich, uh, Georgia. Ten, I don't want to age you too much, but let, is it fair to say that at least one or one, almost two decades or more that you've been kind of concerned with this issue working in this field? Oh, you are so generous. Um, I would say two decades in early child education, but three decades in education overall. Yes. So I've been, I've dedicated my, my 30 years of my life to early child, not to early childhood, but to education in general. And this actually informs the work that I do in early child mm-hmm. education. I started off in elementary education 
And I've worked with organizations like LEAP. In fact, I was one of the original LEAP counselors. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked with um, in public in, in um, schools like um, St. Thomas's Day School and, and Highville Mustard Seed Charter School. I was a global studies coordinator there. And, you know, we did a lot of work with children at, you know, at a much earlier age. And we struggled, I at least I struggled within those organizations to really bring about the results that I wanted to see for our children. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I came into early child education that I understood the power of working at a high level with children between the ages of zero and five. Mm. And so because I knew what I wasn't able to achieve when I was at the elementary level, in spite of all of the incredible investments, um, it was so important for me to really, you know, support as many people as possible to understand the critical importance of the zero to three and zero to five age range. Yes. And so that has really informed my advocacy and work around this because it was the first time I was actually in my work at Hope Child Development Center. It was the first time I was actually seeing the type of results that I wanted um, for the children when I was serving elementary school children. And to be able to get them off into the public schools or wherever school they choose to go to, mm -hmm. just right foot in, ready to learn, lifelong learning. I just felt like I had achieved everything that I had originally set out to do when I started my journey to become an educator. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna, um, I'm gonna ask you to kind of, uh, entice, tease, tell me why it's beneficial for an existing organization to take take advantage of this. But I want to, but just before I do, um, when you read about, I guess when it's on this, your, your, your journey and, and your, the various lenses that you can view reality from, when you read about recent shootings, I mean, oh, it's almost every, every week or so in, here in New Haven or anywhere on the planet, does your mind go to, oh, I wonder how that person was when they were in daycare center, or I wonder if they experienced anything that can kind of triggered them or are there any again you're not a you don't have a complete wisdom bowl to this but do you do you sometimes fantasize or or, or even construct a theory in your mind but I bet that person did not have xyz when they were in their formative stages you know I don't even have to imagine because that is incorporated into my training so mm -hmm. um circle in addition to the work that we're doing on behalf of the city we have been selected as one of six organization to pilot an apprenticeship program. And you can see ours, oh, wrong side, ours right here. And we have been um, working on our apprenticeship model um, for quite some time. And we feel that we've developed a really robust training program. And a part of what we, what I do in one of the professional development training is to talk about not only um, what we do, but why we do what we do. And we reference, um, you know, the not just how we get children ready, but how do we get them ready for lifelong success? Mm -hmm. And it is not, um, it is, it is not a foreign idea for me to understand that when you hear about the shootings that's occurring that it is inextricably linked, not mm -hmm. just to early child education, but the lack of opportunity and the lack of investment that we oftentimes place, not only in our children writ large, but in 
especially our urban centers. Mm. Really, that's the that's reason that's the reason why circle is so important because we understand that if we catch young people early enough, and sometimes it's not just a, a, an issue of whether they received high quality early child educational opportunities, but also um, are they are we investing in communities that can thrive and that will develop and that will create opportunities after people leave the our educational system to be mm. able to continue to live in the community where they started off and to invest in their own particular community with businesses and, and housing and homes. And I think when we look at early child education, early child education is symptomatic of America's um, lack of investment, I think, in, in certain communities. And I don't think it will be shocking to anybody to say that. But when we do not invest in our youngest, then they start off on a, on a poor footing. And when that investment is continued to, is deprived from the community, then the, the outcome is certain. The outcome is absolutely certain. And we talk about how some of the, the the aggression and the violence that we see is not only a function of trauma, um, you know, early childhood trauma. It's not only a function of young children being exposed um, to all sorts of toxin. I mean, we don't talk about the impact of lead. Even mm -hmm. is a city that had community homes that that's riddled with lead. And we don't talk about the impact of lead on young children and the development of the brain of young children. Mm -hmm. We do talk about the lack of food and how that basically impacts um, children. We don't talk about the fact that we have parents that oftentimes have to work, both parents, um, have to work and are not present at home with children. And so those critical experiences that's necessary have a long-term impact and a long-term effect. And sometimes that can lead to some of the things that we're seeing. I, you know, I have had the privilege of being in this um, in this work for 30 years. So I've seen children who start off, you know, without all of those opportunities and I've seen them turn their lives around. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody at some point intervened and, mm -hmm. you know, and took them off of the, the trajectory of um, destruction that they're on. So I'm never pessimistic about, you know, a fu the future for a young person because I know even if um, a child doesn't get the best early child education start, that there is always a, some some inflection point that can ch um, change the trajectory for this person's life. But again, we're coming from a place of if we truly want to see the best outcomes, not just for children, but for our community and mm -hmm. for our community, we have to make those early investments. It, it is it, it is insane to me, Tom, and I say this all the time to people, that at the most critical point of brain development, where 90% of the brain is being invested, we spend less than 10% of our educational budget in developing that brain. Mm. And then we spend 90% plus of our educational benefit mitigating all of the things that were, you know, all of the the the, the critical 
green architecture that was not built mm -hmm. um, at that time. It's it's just antithetical, I think, to wise investments. And so to the extent that I think we have to change those trajectories um, for for young people and and for our community, I think it's 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 critical to train people to understand their role as early care and educator, um, early care educators. So, I mean, that, that's tremendous. So link in this, uh, this financial opportunity, this, this training opportunity, and repeat your website again about why if, I have, if I'm licensed and, and also just repeat uh, who's eligible, why I should take advantage and reach out and apply. And uh, I'm not sure if this is a one-off, whether there'll be a success or another grant opportunity, but, but, but we even a few things about uh, my eligibility, why I should take advantage of it. Um, I think it's critical to take advantage of workforce development, professional development, one, because it improves our understanding of the work that we have to do. So I think anybody that's in this field, anybody that's in this profession, it's important for them to take advantage of this. Mm -hmm. Second, it's free money. <laughs> <laughs> it's free money that you, because we have to do professional development every year anyway. Mm -hmm. And this is an opportunity for us to really think about all the things we've always wanted to do. And just, you know, the, the big dreams that we have for our staff for being um, professionally developed, we give people opportunities to go to conferences. We know conferences are incredibly expensive mm. and there are lots of providers who would love to be able to take a trip out of the state, sometimes out of the country to go to this really important conference that's being offered. And we don't always have that in our budget to do. Mm -hmm. And we don't always have the opportunity to access those funds um, you know, in a different place. So this grant gives you the opportunity to do that. We have providers who have reached out to us to say, hey, you know, I want to develop, um, use AI to develop my professional mm -hmm. development. Mm -hmm. These you know, this is a critical time that we can use these funds and take advantage of the evolution of AI and how that can work in early child education and just in your human resources um, process. And so this grant opportunity gives you that um, access to funds to do those things. Again, if you are licensed, license exempt, if you are a trainer of early child educate, um, early childhood educators, you have the opportunity to apply for these grant funding. And again, Tom, I want to um, let people know that this is a three-year process. So Tremendous. it's not going to be just this year that people will have opportunity to apply. We cannot serve every single person um, this year, and but we hope to serve as many people within the three-year period as possible. So we encourage people to apply this year, but know that if you, you were not successful this year, you can absolutely apply um, in the next um, two years. December 10th is the deadline for our application. So we're encouraging people to get your application in. You can go to ctcircle.org um, and you can go to the community um, grants page and you can find information about this community grant there. On that landing page, you are going to get all of the information that you need, including the webinar that we did to mm -hmm. walk through the grant application process. Mm -hmm. You will also have an opportunity to apply for the grant from that web um, website, ctcircle.org, go to the community grants page. And you will also have an opportunity to set up from that page a one-on-one -on -one consultation um, mm -hmm. service 
um, with our circle staff so that if you find that there are questions that you have about what type of grants you can apply for, and we get a lot of those people reach out mm-hmm. to us and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. Does this, um, would this qualify? Would this be an eligible project? So if you want an opportunity to schedule time to speak to someone one-on-one, you can certainly do that from our website, ctcircle.org and the community grants page. Tremendous. G- Georgia, tease me a little bit more about some of the, the, uh, the ways that, that that I can go to go to Africa, or, or my, how can folks kind of use the funds legitimately and, and honestly? <laughs> Listen, if you want to twist me away to some far flung country, <laughs> hey, we'll work to see if we can work that in. <laughs> but we would highly recommend that people think about um, all of those different conferences that you have wanted to attend. Um, we know that there are conferences throughout the throughout the country that are, you know, doing amazing, provided amazing training and amazing information about early child education. But we also know there may be some training that's outside of the um, that's outside of the country. Mm-hmm. And again, we're going to evaluate every single person's request. Yeah. But if we think it's an important training, this is an opportunity that many people wouldn't have. Um, access to grant funding to do. Mm -hmm. So we really want to give people the opportunity to think about all of the ways that they have wanted to support the increased um, skills and knowledge of their staff and to utilize that. Again, it's we, we have some folks who really just want um, to hire a consultant to come in Mm -hmm. help them to because every early child education center is required to have an education consultant Uh and sometimes folks only use their consultant sparingly because they have they may have to pay them so Mm -hmm. this is an opportunity to allow a center to say you know I've wanted my consultant to come in to deliver this type of training for so many years I've just not had the resources to do it so you can absolutely use your consultants to do that there's software that if you're interested that can help your um, organization to help to train um, your teachers and this this will be a long-term um, benefit to the organization, then you can absolutely apply for those types of grants. We've made this so broad that it's about thinking about, because we don't know what each provider's um, ed, um, early child education and professional development needs are, but we mm-hmm. basically anticipate um, all of the possibilities. So I'm just going to read off just some Please. of the Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to re- oh, recruit and hire staff, so this could be a way because we know that the staffing crisis is one of the big issues right now in early in early child education. So this funds can these funds can be used um, to recruit, pay for recruiting, the recruiting costs, pay for the training costs, because sometimes once you hire a staff person, you may possibly need to do um, first aid CPR admin of med training. Mm-hmm. Those covered if you want to give a bonus to bring a staff person on board, you can certainly do that. Um, again, we talked about the educational consultants. That is a requirement for most childcare centers. And so we want to make sure um, that folks can apply for those opportunities to pay for their ed consultant. And we also know that there are teachers 
who are going to be required and are also being supported through the Early Child Education um, Office of Early Child Education um, to get their associate degree or as yeah. um, or their bachelor's degree. Yeah. I do want to share, um, Tom, if you don't mind, that the yeah. Office of Childhood is made a, a really tremendous investment and a promise to anyone that's coming in or has been in early care and education field that they will cover the full cost of someone getting their associate degree, mm. their CDA, which is a, a, a beginning credential, or their bachelor's degree at no cost to that individual. Hmm. So if you want to come in and to support your staff around doing some of those things, we not only can provide you funding to help you to do that, but also funding to help you get connected to the Office of Early Child Education. We know that there are programs that are going through accreditation support. I do want to share here, um, mm -hmm. Tom, there is one group that's not eligible to okay. apply for these funds. And that's the those are people who are being supported by the Office of Early Childhood Education through the quality improvement system. And so they're getting lots of resources from the OEC um, to around professional development. So we just want to make sure that mm -hmm. this very limited fund are going to folks who are not always re already receiving those. And we know the state, um, the state has also developed a quality improvement system. And one of the condition of moving up in a quality improvement system is to develop a professional development plan or a program improvement plan. Now we know from this from this from the stories that we're hearing from providers that they're covering in the classrooms and oftentimes cannot manage the administrative burden of operating the center right now because of the staffing crisis. Mm. So having the funds to hire someone to come in to help them to develop that plan is something that they can also use the funds to do. And if they're interested in developing their uh, an apprenticeship program, they can also apply for funds um, to go through that process. And we do want to let people know as well that the United Way also has mm. funding that mm. is available um, and they are going to make funds available for those quality enhancement aspects of managing a classroom, operating a center. So if people need supplies, if people need equipment, if people need to do repairs on their facility, the United Way grant is designed to do that. If people are looking to convert a classroom from a preschool classroom to an infantile classroom so that mm. they can serve those infantile um, students, the uh, the United Ways grant is also there to do that. So I would just basically say that people should um, continue to go to the United Ways website, reach out to our circle representative. Um, if they again go to ctcircle.org um, to get some information about our grant opportunity, they can find out all of the amazing opportunities mm. that are available to the city of New Haven early care um, providers and children and families for the next three years with this $3.5 million grant funding. Tremendous, tremendous. Uh, Georgia, as you know, I'm somewhat involved with, with local politics and I uh, remind myself that when I hear someone that suggests and rightfully so that the system's broken and that politics doesn't work and it has a, a the, the 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 dissemination of goods and services is somewhat uh, based on who who you know or 
based on your color. And I, I don't really argue with people in that regard, but I want you to talk about, if you would, you were involved with the governor had a council, uh, governor brought some folks together and given your experience, kind of weave in, and I'm not trying to get you to say one thing or the other, because uh, even to get to this point, there, there are always struggles and, 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 and tensions. But I was just curious if you had any thoughts you'd like to share about government might not work all the time, but it seems to me this is perhaps an example of how it might be working better than it has in the past, particularly pertaining to, pertaining to this subject. So the governor, as you alluded to, convened a blue ribbon panel on childcare um, to really look at what the next five years of childcare can be in Connecticut. Because what I think everybody came to realize during a pandemic is this industry that most people have sort of taken for granted. Um, I think people realize that you are not going to be able to do the critical function of business or government without this industry. Hmm. Um, I, I will share with you that historically, this industry has been um, neglected, um, rather, whether it's intentional or whether it's just benign neglect. This industry has been neglected because of the history of um, the industry. It was um, childcare originated out of slavery as a result of Black and brown women being forced to care for their slave owner's children. And this was the only means and mechanism through which freed black women um, could continue to earn a living. And the government has been intentional in marginalizing um, childcare um, issues for women of color, people of color, and they have actually um, inscribed into policies, into laws, um, policies that are really harmful, um, specifically to working women, and, and most of those fall along racial um, um, and economic lines. And so we are not here, the broken childcare system is not here by accident or simply benign neglect. There were actual intentional acts throughout the years that prevented us to develop a robust system that would support every single child in the, in the country, not just in Connecticut, because of where child, the industry originated and who predominated in the industry. And so this industry went from being um, utilized primarily by poor working class women, being operated by primarily women of color to now an industry that people are understanding is as critical to the national security mm this country and of the state, the governor came to the childcare industry and said, we, you guys are essential and you guys can't shut down. So of the three educational system, early child education, pre-K, um, K through 12 and higher ed, the only educational system that was deemed essential was early childhood education. Mm -hmm. And he had to come out and to support all of the workforce under the workforce. And so I think this pandemic has been uh, a double-edged sword in that it is taken, if you imagine the Titanic being struck and kind of like limping along and then a torpedo hit it, that's literally what happened to the childcare yeah. industry. We, we, are, we have been limping along for many years on a broken financial model and uh, we were hit by a torpedo. And I think the torpedo has further weakened the system. But because of 
people's understanding of the critical importance of early care and um, the early care system to the national infrastructure, the business infrastructure, there's more conversation around that. So this is the impetus for the governor to pull together different um, policy folks from across um, the state to really think about what um, we do for the next five years. I will share that I was while I was grateful for all of the work that has gone into this, I was a little bit disappointed by some of the proposals that are in the the that's that's in the blue ribbon panel proposal. One of the things that I think people need to be aware of, Tom, and I'm hoping that I can come back and just you know talk about this in more sure. detail. Ab- absolutely. Um, is the care for kids issue. So the, when the governor established his his budget. Um, it's two-year budget. They changed the Care for Kids program by putting people, what they call it's a enrollment management system, which is in effect a waiting, um, a waiting list system. So prior to this change in the governor's budget, you were able, if you were eligible for Care for Kids, to apply for Care for Kids. And after going through the normal process of approval, you were issued a certificate. That is no longer occurring um, Tom, people are placed on waiting list and being wait to be pulled off waiting list before their applications are reviewed. And what the Blue Ribbon panel is calling for is a continuation of this process. And uh, and this process is going to be exacerbated because the Blue Ribbon panel is also calling for the expansion of the Care for Kids um, program to more families. Now, this is uh, one of the policies that Circle have worked really very hard to advance, that more parents need to have access to a child care subsidy and that they increase the reimbursement that they are paying on behalf of parents. Mm-hmm. Because right now, Care for Kids, if you you had a certificate, Tom, you could only access about 50% of the infant toddler programs in the state, which means that 50% of infant toddler programs, even if you could have access to it, you would not be able to afford it. And so what this Blue Ribbon panel is calling for is to give more families access to this subsidy, increase the reimbursement rate so that you can afford at least 75% off the childcare programs that are out there, but it's still calling for a waiting list. So there's some really wonderful things in a Blue Ribbon Panel um, plan. Um, one of the things that we're excited about is the change that Connecticut is going to implement around um, teacher credential, which I, which is also something that we push for, and we think it's a wonderful thing. So right now, if you are an early child education teacher, you have about 14 steps that you can go through to get to the top of a career ladder. They're going to change all of that 14 steps to about three. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing for us was that there was a push to have every single person have a bachelor's degree in early child education. And while we think it's important to have highly skilled teachers in front of children, We also want to recognize that early childhood is a combination of care and education. Mm -hmm. And care has occurred in multi-generational settings. And when we say to this industry that the only people that can be in front of children, caring and educating young children are people with a bachelor's degree, then by extension, we're favoring young people, many Mm. of whom um, have don't have children. Mm-hmm. And we're 
pushing out of the industry people who have worked for 20 years who may not have a bachelor's degree, but have years of professional development and knowledge and skills and competency that is critical for helping and supporting young children in their early stage of development. And this change, um, proposed change in the Blue Ribbon Panel to go from a, a 14 um, step career ladder to a three step um, a level system for early care provider, ECE level one, ECE level two, and ECE level three. ECE level one, recognizing people who get 120 hours of professional development, which is another reason mm. why people should take advantage of these mm -hmm. opportunities because the, the, the reframing of an ECE level one recognition is no longer about degrees, but it's about training. Mm. So if you can demonstrate that you have 120 hours of professional development within certain content area, then you would be recognized by the Office of Early Childhood Education in this new system as an ECE level one teacher. We think for people who are, especially from the community, who people who are retired, who want to work with young children. Good point can come in and be moms to these young to these new moms or grandmas to these new moms that being able to work and to give that level of knowledge and skill in addition to earning you know advanced knowledge and skill through professional development just makes the early childhood classroom a much richer one for young children so we were really very grateful about that change in 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 um in thinking about who should be in front of children and how do we create a pathway for those people to have the skills and the knowledge to be the best um um you know educator and care provider um for young children excellent you know just so many thoughts came to mind as you were speaking georgia one was certainly um my mind was going back to hearing congressperson deloro this is certainly a hot hot topic and passionate topic for her that she's been trying to spread the the, the good news and the, and the struggle that's involved uh, for for several years and i also also was thinking that everybody that's listening should try to uh find out who your state rep or your state senator is in terms of this next uh legislative session are there any bills pending that you're aware of or anything that you should be testifying on or if you uh if if if, if gary winfield was on this show or if robin porter or if marty looney what would you want to kind of or uh Pat Dillon, what would, would you want to say to them in terms of this, this next le legislative session? You know, New Haven is blessed in so many ways because not only do we have um, local, state um, representative and senators that are just children champions, um, Representative Deloro is just, she's a dynamo. She's an absolute dynamo. And Connecticut has just amazing um, representative, both state and federally, federal, that are representing children and families' interest. What I would want to raise with um, um, Senator, um, Senator Winfield, I would definitely like to raise with all of our state um, representatives, um, especially um, Representative Walker, that um, the Care for Kids program is so critical to the, to the New Haven community. And it's hurting, a, the waiting list is hurting a lot of families right now. There are parents who are being asked to pay full tuition until they are removed from the waiting list. Now, if you qualify for Care for Kids, 
you, there's an acknowledgement that your income is insufficient to cover the full cost of childcare. And right now, what we're asking parents to do as we are engaged in a waiting list or an enrollment management system is to pay for about two to three months at, at the best, the best estimate um, for childcare until you are removed from a waiting list and approved for a care for kids certificate. So we would want to let them know about that. We also want them to know, um, you know, special education, and we didn't have a lot of time to talk about that. Early childhood education is the best place to address children with developmental delays. Mm. And mm. we have a crown jewel in, in our crown, which is the birth to three system. And we are definitely, we introduced legislation last year, which is to expand a birth to three system, which is an early intervention system that works with children and families where they are to intervene and to mitigate um, when there are developmental needs, delays identified. Mm -hmm. We are proposing to um, move this from a birth to three system to a birth to five system. We are really very grateful that one of the one of a, a process that we started several years ago, which is to shift the payment um, of, of childcare cost from DCF to United Way um, 211 Care for Kids system is actually being implemented this, um, this actually this upcoming month, December. So we want to let people know if you are a foster parent, if you are thinking about adopting a child, um, that the two care for kids now in partnership with DCF and the Office of Early Child Education will be covering the full cost of childcare for every single child that's in DCF um, and the DCF um, foster care system mm -hmm. for one year after a child has been adopted out of the DCF system. Tremendous. That is our, our push to remove the payment from the DCF process to the to care for kids process was as a result of just some of the difficulties of providers being paid and how that impacted children um, who were in the foster care system because many providers did not want to serve those children because of the difficulty of it mm. being paid. So going back again, um, Tom, you know, this is an exciting time. Mm -hmm. It's also a scary time as well. And what we also want legislators to understand is we don't think that any equitable system can exist if we do not honor the people, the originators, the progenitors of the early care system and industry, mm. which women, more specifically women of color, more specifically black women. So we want to also make sure that any policy or any legislation that is being considered has to be viewed through the lens of what is the impact on those communities if this and legislation or policy mm -hmm. or to move forward. Excellent. And I really appreciate your kind of sharing the, the, the if, if you will, the intersectionality, just the, the various systems that, that, that affect all of us. And, and it, sometimes it can be a mouthful, even for someone that's been working on in the public uh, field for so many years, such as yourself and even myself to some degree, it, it's uh Sometimes it can be overwhelming with uh, the 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 dead ends that, that policies sometimes <laughs> wind up uh, uh, manifesting themselves. So it's just so so key for people to hear you describe that landscape. Uh, I, I do appreciate it. 
And, and I, I do want to say it's sometimes these policies are not dead ends. Sometimes they are designed to take certain communities. So this is why again for us, I mean, if you if you well, look well, at well, the, let me let me just okay, so you so let me just interrupt this. I mean, I want to to give you a chance to pause. Mm-hmm. I, I hear I hear you say it, I want you to correct me. We hear these terms. Um implicit bias and, and explicit bias. And to me, these are still just sugarcoating terms for us not to really deal with the with these age-old issues about right if, if you like Rodney King, can we all get a, the, the issue of can we all get along might still be an open question. But 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 continue because you have and, and I want people to know that you're not castigating or or condemning, but just laying out some facts and just clear observations about a uh, this human dynamic. So, so talk about that a little bit because I was on. The, I did a call, a show a few uh, days ago with a gentleman that still remembered. He's maybe 30, 40, at least forty-five. He still remembers being in daycare center and a incident occurring between him and a his a young white boy and the white teacher. Mm-hmm. He's forty-five and he still remembers what happened. Uh, you know, to, to the best of his knowledge. Uh, so, so I guess just talk about this crucial, we use this term incubator, but this crucial uh, developmental phase before you become before you can become a, a, a sequoia and so that you won't be snuffed out so that you can't even grow to be six feet. So, you know, Dr. Walter Gilliam came out with a study um, and it was a mind shatter, um, a, like earth shaking study about the disproportionate suspension of black and brown boys out of preschool. Mm-hmm. And that created the impetus for the creation of circle. Again, children are segregated along racial lines in preschool programs. And what the, the question I asked Dr. Gilliam when he came to the, um, a meeting where I was attending um, was, well, is this racially motivated? Um, because black and brown boys are such a small proportion of the population, but they are disproportionately um, expelled from preschool. Mm. And Tom, it's a, it was a theory, it was a, um, it was a rhetorical question that I was asked at the time because I'm a black woman in America. Right. And Dr. Gilliam was not prepared at the time to say it. there was some racial components to it. And he came up with a subsequent study around implicit bias. And mm. this is where all of this conversation has um, emanated from is the idea of implicit bias and how that shows up in the classroom. And in the study, they looked at how teachers, eye, they track teachers' eyes to see how they watch and how they monitor black and brown children um, as opposed to white children. And part of what came out of the study is that you do have teachers that are exercising both implicit and explicit bias against certain groups of children. And it didn't fall just simply along racial line um, where it was mostly white teachers. You also have black teachers who were doing that. And we do not take into account enough what racism does to um, Black people internally and mm-hmm. how we even internalize 
um, racism and racist views about ourselves and about our community and our family and how that plays out in the classroom, especially when we're disciplining young children. And so when you talk about, you know, how this word implicit bias has really become sort of like a buzzword with not really holding a whole lot of meaning, that's pretty much what it has become right now. But what is really good about the origins of those conversation is that circle came out of it. Mm. And we have, we are now organizing the voices of providers of color, providers who are serving primarily children of color, we're holding ourselves accountable. And a part of this professional development work is to really look at how we support our even our children because children are racially and economically and socially segregated. So the people that are serving primarily children of color in New Haven are owners and directors of color. And we also know that we are historically de um, deprived of resources to do quality work. And when we are deprived of resources, we also have um, the, the state infrastructure that comes in and cites us, not because we don't have good intentions, but we don't have good financing mm. to address some of the quality issues in our program. And then when you have this um, community perception that anything that's being delivered by people of color, and trust me, we internalize those things. White is right is a statement of how we view even the quality and the services that we deliver. And so there's a perception of quality when you go into programs where there are majority white children, and there's a, a perception of low quality when you go into communities or provide um, programs that are serving primarily black and brown children. And that perception is enhanced by the fact that lack of resources by not having access to grant funds going back again to the United Way mm -hmm. Grant Fund mm -hmm. can allow us to do some of that, you know, facility improvement stuff that's critical in providing a high quality early care um, environment that we have not historically been able to do because we're locked out of finances. And then when the state comes in and cites program for all of those deficiency, it basically just creates this piling on effect to basically confirm um, the bias that programs that are being delivered by primarily people of color to children and communities of color are low quality. And so having access to professional development to increase our knowledge and skill through the workforce grant um, delivered by Circle, having access to the funding from United Way to improve our facilities and to bring materials into our program that we have not been able to purchase for our program. It works to dismantle Mm. All some of those narratives again, mm -hmm. not going to fix the problem overnight, but this is a critical part in helping to address some of these things that um, plays into um, our implicit and explicit biases. And so it's a small um, it's a small drop in the bucket bucket. And but I think New Haven is ahead of many communities in just trying to do some of those work. And again, the grant that the United Way has. To, to do a strategic plan is to look broadly at what our needs are and how implicit mm. and 
implicit bias really plays into how parents select programs, how programs are perceived mm -hmm. um, by parents and the communities, and how um, programs are perceived by the state, and how those perceptions really rob um, these providers of resources that are critical to do the work that's very important. And Circle being in this space also works to push and advance those conversations because we know that after the whole- You have 30 more seconds. Yeah, after the whole fad of implicit biases um, die down, that the conversation will stop. We are here to ensure that those conversations continue and that it is a meaningful conversation that we're having. In Georgia, folks can, can reach you, find out, empower themselves. How as we conclude? Well, they can go to our website, ctcircle.org. And if they're interested in the grant, they can go to our community grants page to learn more about our grant. They can go to the United Way's websites to also learn about their facility improvement grant. And it is www.united, it's uwg nh.org for the United Way's um, website, and their grant is listed on the webpage. Apologies that I'm not as versed with the United Way. Um, <laughs> um, and if they want to learn more about Circle, again, you can go to ctcircle.org, and you can certainly go through our website to find out about all the different ways, um, Tom, that we're working to dismantle the system of inequity, racial um, inequities, and just implicit and explicit biases in the early care system. Excellent, excellent. I have to say bye, but we're going to we're going to do it again. So you, you you've been you've been fully baptized and you walked across the hot coals very well. And so so we're going to we're going to make it happen again. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you so much. David, thank you. All right, be well and happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to everyone. Yes. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions. Looking at devoiding myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains, haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. Yeah. You're listening to the Tom Thicken Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio.